Welcome to Climate Action News One-on-One, brought to you by We Don't Have Time and A Sustainable Tomorrow. My name is Katarina Rolf-Stotter-Jansson, and I am the host of this program. Anders Wikman is honorary chairman of the global think tank Club of Rome and chairman of the governing board of Climate Kick. He's an opinion leader, an author, and former assistant secretary general of the United Nations. Great to have you with us here, Anders Wikman. Thank you. You have worked with sustainable development for many years. You have extensive knowledge in this area. What would you say, what lessons can we learn from how we handle the COVID-19 pandemic in relation to to sustainable development? Well, that's not an entirely easy question. Um, I think what is very obvious to me, and I have some background in disaster relief because I spent 10 of my, my, my years in, in the Red Cross movement. Uh, we human beings, we are quite good at responding to crisis when it hits. Um, when there is an imminent crisis, we are, however, very poorly equipped to deal with long-term risks and uh, problems that loom around the corner. Um, And I think this crisis shows it very, very well. Now we are in a very difficult situation, both in terms of health, but also in terms of the economy. And all of a sudden, governments are ready to spend not only hundreds, but thousands of billions of dollars to uh, try to mitigate the situation. Uh, And I understand that. Uh, and it's the only way it can be handled. So, so it's okay. It's all right. But just imagine if somebody would have asked for just one percent of this money to do something to uh, to reduce emissions or to um, mitigate uh, climate change, the debate would have been endless. So, so we we have we have a problem between the short term and the long term, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and that's inbuilt both our political and our economic system. Um, and this is why some of those more long term oriented problems that sooner or later will hit us, we we are almost paralyzed in trying to to address them effectively. But now, as the public and also decision makers, actually have taken drastic action in solidarity we're staying home from from our normal lives to protect others is there any learnings we can do as as people deep in uh, to be able to transfer this uh, action into climate action yes of course because it shows that uh, most people have a a sense of solidarity and uh, a sense of uh, community um, and uh, they are not thinking only about themselves. They are thinking about, um, well, fellow human beings. Um, so so that there, that there is, we, we have the capabilities to, to do the right things, but we have to be, we have to be nudged or we have to be uh, moved in the right direction. And that's what I just said, that... Uh, uh, we seem to, to, to have difficulties when it comes to addressing more long-term issues. Uh, and and that's, that's, I think, a, a problem. 
Maybe it's because it's only about 10,000 years since we were hunter and gatherers. Um, and, and we only had to think about today. There was, there was no real tomorrow to plan for. We had to survive today. Um, uh, and that's, uh, I think evolution has probably been slow when it mm. comes to, to that kind of capacity. It's our old brains that are making it difficult for us to respond. Mm. Um, is there any momentum here and who could be taking advantage of this momentum to create more climate awareness and climate action? Well, I think it has to be both top down and bottom up. I mean, people can do a lot to show their engagement and that they are concerned. And that's, that is happening more and more. And the fact that Greta Thunberg has mobilized millions and millions of young people is, is very, very important, of course. But we don't have time only for bottom up. I think we need good leadership because there are so many levels in society where we need to change incentive structures, where we need to change policy frameworks simply for people to be able to do the right things uh, and not um, very often doing the opposite because that is less expensive. Mm. And, and this is really, I think, a major problem because the system is, uh, is geared towards short-term profits And short-term profits in a system where we already are overusing the ecology and emitting too much emissions is not compatible with the long-term sustainability agenda. So we have to change that. And that people cannot do bottom-up. That the decision-makers have to, to do. But I think decision-makers are more likely to do it if there is more pressure from the bottom. Of course. So it's, 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 it's both. Speaking of framework, you are very active in the Club of Rome and the Club of Rome has launched, launched a climate emergency plan. Could you please tell us a little bit about the climate emergency plan, please? Well, you know, it's, it's ironic. We, we started to work on that almost two years ago. It was me, it was Ian Dunlop in, Can in Australia and Sandrine Dixon, our present chairman, uh, because we felt that there was no talk about the emergency at that time. This was before Greta. Mm. Um, and uh, we adopted this cli climate emergency plan, which has 10 very distinct entry points, which human society has to follow in order to meet the 1.5 or 2 degrees target. Uh, and we adopted it at the 50th year anniversary of the Club of Rome in Rome in October Uh, 2018. A month later, I met with Greta for the first time, and we both talked in a big meeting in Stockholm. And then things started to happen. Mm. And I'm not saying that our uh, initiative was the one that prompted it, but it was ironic that it was more or less simultaneous with, with Greta's advance. Mm -hmm. um, a, a year later, we took another initiative, we winded it to a planetary emergency initiative where we have now included ecosystems and biodiversity because these are the two, I would say, twin challenges, climate change, biodiversity, and ecosystem decline. And unless you tackle them together, you will not succeed. Mm -hmm. And they are very much interlinked, very much interlinked. 
So uh, uh, I, I'd rather talk about the planetary emergency than the climate emergency because climate is part of that. Mm. Um, and if, if you ask me for climate, I would say right now the most important thing is to start building an energy system, in particular in lower-income countries, that is, that is low carbon. And it's, going, it's, it's too slow. We would have to quadruple or, or five-double the uh, amount of money that is invested e every year, and in particular in Africa. And, you know, I don't think most people realize how dependent we people are on modern energy for our development. So if these people don't have access to renewables, uh, they will be locked into the, to the carbon economy. There is no other way because you cannot build your future on animal dung and fuel wood, which is what most poor people rely on today. And then they are they are they continue to 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 be in poverty. So so I mean that the, there is a win-win situation here. You bring people out of poverty by uh, addressing this, and you lower emissions. But it's too slow. And I would say if there is one priority action, that is the one. The oil price was negative, um, turned negative last week. Um, what effect do you think this will have on the transition that you just mentioned? It's very difficult to, to predict because we, we shouldn't forget that still today, 80% of the energy mix is fossil fuels, oil and gas and coal. Coal, not so much as before, um, but oil and gas predominantly. And if all of a sudden uh, they wouldn't be there, the whole system would collapse. So we have to, to, to take steps over time. We can't, we can't abandon it overnight. And, and I, I'm quite concerned about the fact that part of the oil sector could collapse because many, many companies will go bankrupt when the price of oil is zero or almost zero. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so this is a very delicate balance. Uh, we, we can't, even if people would say, fantastic, that, that oil companies go, go bankrupt because we don't need them. Yes, we need them, at least for a considerable time, so that we can make the transition. Uh, we, do, we cannot do, make the transition without fossil fuels. So, so th this, is, this, is, this is complicated. And I wish we had somebody else in the White House during this transition time, because to have somebody like Trump makes this so much more unpredictable and erratic. You don't know from one day to the other what the hell the man is going to do. Yeah, that's, that's pretty obvious. That's very, very volatile. I just saw an article that he is now going to punish the Saudis for allowing this mm -hmm. drop in oil prices to happen because it hits his shale oil business in the US. Mm -hmm. So I, there is a lot of politics in this. For sure. Speaking of leaders, um, what is climate leadership? What does that mean to you? I always ask this question. This is my, always my final question. What is climate leadership? What does that entail for you, Anders Wigman? I think it, 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 it entails, on the one hand, a very clear message to the population that we are in dire straits, that we, we face very imminent risks, both with regard to climate and, and natural systems. Um, so 
a certain degree of alarmism and at the same time uh, inciting hope, giving hope, uh, looking or, or um, pointing at the opportunities, because there are many opportunities. But I think you need both. Uh, you, you need to tell people this is a very serious challenge but we can fix it if we do the following things. And then thirdly, to put in place the right policies. And here I think you, 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 you have to be courageous because some of the policy measures will not be liked by everyone. Fourthly, you have to bring everybody in a society with you. It has to be perceived as a just transition. And I can see in my own country, Sweden, that there are increasing tensions around this concept of transformation. Because some people, not least in the rural areas, look upon it as a threat or something that, that they don't believe in. So, so we have really to involve, engage them in a dialogue and make them understand that the future we are talking about is a better future for all of us. Thank you very much, Anders Wikma, for sharing your insights and for being part of this program. Thank you. Thanks. And for all of you viewers, if you're curious to learn more about uh, how we create together, create a more sustainable world and more climate action, please go into the We Don't Have Time platform, or if you're located in Scandinavia, you can also join a sustainabletomorrow.org. And next week, I'm back with another guest. Thank you for joining. Coming up next week, Stuart Scott is a systems thinker. With training in a variety of scientific fields and work experience in finance, education and information systems, he knows for his creativity in communicating the urgency and severity of the impact of the current growth economic system on our planet and has been involved in several UN-sponsored climate negotiations.